and thank you for listening to the Everything Must Go podcast. I'm Steven, alongside here with Brandon. This is another Spotlight episode, and today we've got two guests from the band Beneath the Hollow. We've got Jesse. Hey guys, how you doing? And we've got Tyler. What's up, guys? What's going on? What's going on? So tell us a little bit about what you guys do for the band. Sure. Uh, Jesse here. Uh, I play guitar, and uh, I do all the recording and engineering uh, for the records, and uh, Tyler plays bass. Yep. I play the low end, fast strings. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the grooves, baby. <laughs> okay. Um, so tell us, for someone like who doesn't know anything about your band at all, you run into someone, let's say, at a bar. They're maybe 25 years of age. They're just chilling there, and they say, oh, you're in a band. What kind of band is it? What would you say to them? Uh, definitely a metal band. Like, if I'm elevator pitching somebody, uh, it, usually what I give them is it, it's like Pantera, Slayer, and Slipknot all put together. Okay. Absolutely. A little bit of Fear Factory. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, maybe a little Tool in there. We're not too crazy, but just heavy enough for everyone to enjoy. <laughs> so, was that that kind of music your guys' inspiration from the get-go or like what where did your musical inspiration kind of come from definitely uh, metal's kind of been a lifelong thing for me uh for myself and my brother our drummer matt uh we grew up in a musical house uh, our dad played guitar played in bands our whole life so we were listening to pantera and ridiculous shit when we were like six seven years old okay yeah i mean uh at the beginning of the band, before I was in it, they were a lot more extreme, but super heavy. That's always been a huge influence. And then now we lightened it up just a little bit, just enough to, uh, you know, still keep that heavy groove. Gotcha. Well, let, let me ask you this then. So if in that exact same scenario that I painted with the 25-year-old, what about if it's a 75-year-old? <laughs> You're not going to want to listen to this. <laughs> if you thought Black Sabbath was scary. Tell him, hey. Any grandkids, maybe uh, let them know. <laughs> <laughs> give, this, give this flyer to your grandkids; they might like it. <laughs> so you already like for, forget this old guy. Just uh, you got any grandkids to listen? <laughs> so does that not happen? That you never get seventy-five-year-olds that ever? I've never, I've never seen somebody in their seventies. I've seen people in their fifties and sixties come out to shows. My parents. <laughs> <laughs> but even like not people we don't know. Like I mean, I think we we can reach far enough into that where they they're like see that it's an extension of the the Black Sabbath, the Judas Priest, and you know that used to be scary. So they kind of broke down a lot of doors for everybody. Yeah. Well, what was sort of like your the band that got you both into heavier music? Oh, it's Pantera for me, hands down. Uh, man, when I was really younger, my uncle, first really heavy CD he gave me was uh, Slipknot's first album. I was probably in first grade, and that really uh, took off from there. <laughs> yeah, Slipknot definitely kicked me into the deep, like deeper and more offensive and more aggressive and, and got that ball rolling. I'll never forget when Iowa came out. I almost crashed the lawnmower. <laughs> when I <started> <laughs> disc man. <laughs> I'm really surprised that you guys aren't big Backstreet Boys fans, to be honest. We earlier. I could have swore that's what was going to be your inspiration for sure. <laughs> Just on the clean vocal parts a little bit. It's funny, man, because we, we kind of came backwards from it. Like we, we were very, very heavy, extreme, more definitely le- uh, leaning more towards death metal, and we've definitely grown out of that. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Like I can, I can 
honestly say like I like a very wide range of music now. Like if you talk to me when I was 18, 19, if it wasn't extreme, like 290 BPM, just the most ridiculous shit you've ever heard, I didn't want to hear about it. <laughs> gotcha. Same with me growing up all through like high school. It was fast, heavy, most evil thing I could possibly find. And now, <laughs> go look for the most offensive record cover. And like, that's what I want. Anything piss Three copies off. of this, please. <laughs> Make it run through a wall. Anything that can do that. I like most evil music. That's... <laughs> What's going to scare the shit out of my parents? <laughs> well, that's a good say. I, I'm kind of wondering, like, how, how do your your families or your support systems? How do they feel about your music? Are they supportive of it? Are they shocked by like your tastes? You know, how, how does that you know impact them and and uh, your support system and all that stuff? I have the most incredible su- uh, support system. I, I've got uh, a lovely wife and two amazing kids, and they all are extremely supportive. Uh, the band headquarters is in my house. We record at my house. We practice at my house. My wife feeds these guys. Uh, they're at the house all the time. We do holidays together. Uh, the kids think it's amazing. Um, so i I truly lucky. Yeah, I was going to say, same here. I mean, my parents, girlfriend... A lot of my friends, brothers, they all come out to the shows. I don't know if they actually listen to us after they leave, but they'll buy our albums, they buy shirts, and they'll be right, you know, front row to see us play every time. So And we've got incredible extended family. Like my my father is has always been supportive. I mean, he taught us how to play, how to record. Um, I've got awesome aunts and uncles, my grandparents, uh, my grandparents came to a show. We opened for Exodus at the Pearl Room in Mokina, Illinois, and my grandparents came to see it. It was wow. great. <laughs> what did they think about it? They thought it was awesome. They're like, I don't get it. I don't get what you're doing. <laughs> but good work. I can't That's imagine sick. my grandpa going if I had a heavy mouth. <laughs> I think my grandpa was sitting at the bar with me at the end of it like, this is all right. I don't get what y'all are doing out here, but everybody seems to be having a good time. <laughs> That's pretty cool, though. Yeah. Well, you guys kind of reached out to us. You you guys just released this EP, um, and we're going to play a song uh, off of the EP, The, the Killing Floor. I'm just curious, you know, where did the inspiration for this EP kind of come from? This song in particular, is there any story behind it? Anything that you can kind of let us in on on the the inside look of the band? Yeah, certainly. Um, we generally the the process for us is, um, you know, I'll demo out a song and bring it to the guys. It'll have a basic structure to it. We'll fine tune it from there. We'll add pieces. We'll subtract pieces. We get it to a rough skeleton, and then. Uh, that's where you know lyrics and melodies start coming in. Okay. Uh, 
lyrics are generally written by either myself or our singer Aaron. We it, it's a very collaborative effort. It's not exclusive. It never has been. Um, so it, it's just everybody's on the same page about trying to to make every song as good as it can be. Um, Killing Floor, uh, if, if you read through the lyrics, is uh, very... Uh, most of our lyrics are, are life experience based. That that was definitely a not so great relationship if you read between the lines there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait, so that song in particular, I know that's like the one that you, you like said is a good representation of your guys' music on the CP in general. What was the songwriting process like specifically for that song? And did you know when you were done with it that this was the song that you wanted to promote to people? Uh, no, actually, uh, you, when you're in it, you're just like, you're in the weeds, man. You're in the mud. You, you can't see which way is up. So we finished the record, and this song in particular came together very easily. Like, musically, I think I had it done in about... 40 minutes like the first riff came out <laughs> and you know i have the the recording studio at the house so this this riff popped into my head i laid down a tempo track and i put the riffs down and i was like oh shit there's a song <laughs> and that was it uh lyrically was was pretty quick too that that one was almost a hundred percent i handed Aaron a sheet of lyrics like i don't know what just happened but i this song fell out of my ass and he was <laughs> yeah. like i love it <laughs> and it worked no the, and, i can I can definitely relate to that because I, I, being a songwriter myself, those are kind of the best ones when like everything just unravels before you. It's like you're not even trying; it just kind of happens. Like you're just feeling the flow of it. So that's absolutely. That's pretty cool. it, it's it's almost like you're. I mean, I I have to equate it to like the closest thing I can relate it to would probably be like a out of body experience. Like it just happens, and then when you're done with it, you're like, oh, so that happened. Yeah, it ever it just starts. It's it's like you're possessed almost. It it just it it guides itself. It, it right the best ones. I, I agree with you 100. percent They write themselves. The ones you labor over are always the songs you hate. <laughs> yes, I, I I got that. I get that totally. I mean, they're kind of rewarding because you you worked so hard for it. But at the same time, it's they're typically not as they're just not as natural. So it doesn't always. It feels more forced sometimes. So I, I yes. totally get that. Well, one thing that I had I talked about before we even did this interview mm-hmm. was that the singer of the band actually it, they had to like kind of push to do some of the screamed vocals, and that he was very comfortable doing the singing parts of the songs. And the that that's kind of a, a big deal when you're in a metal band and being like, well, are we gonna do a lot of screams? Are we gonna do a lot of singing? And trying to like make that distinction. So when it came to writing this EP, how did that affect the process? Uh, now we're at we're at a point where with Aaron, I can just I can almost give him anything, and he can handle it. Um, when he first joined the band, it was a very different process for him. Um, like you said, he he was an extraordinary melodic singer. He could great uh, sense of key, pitch, melody, everything. Um, and then I'm like, no, I want you to yell at it too. Like I need you to yell. I need you to get, get pissed. <laughs> and and he, it's it's been. Uh, quite a treat to watch him and uh, watch him expand his, his heavy vocals because I think uh, he's got a, something really different going on. Something that, uh, Vocally, uh, his heavy stuff really reminds me of like a, a Corey Taylor or a Burton C. Bell from Fear Factory, which is, those are the guys that stand out when you think of heavy metal. The guys that don't sound like every other dude. Absolutely. I really like that 
in a lot of different songs, it, you know, he's not doing the same thing throughout the whole thing. It's always different, you know. He does the cleans, he can do the heavy, he can do, like, the medium heavy, and it all comes out good. Yeah. Well, that that actually, so I have a question in general because of the, like, there there's a definite difference when it comes between, like, screamed and singing vocals, and there is sort of a line that gets blurred when some vocalists can kind of, like, go from one into the other. Some sounds like super separate where it's like, is that the same person? I can't even tell because mm. it sounds so radically different. How does, how do you guys like determine that process on, should this part be melodic or should this part be very harsh? Do you just let him run with it or do you give a lot of input on it or how does that part happen? It depends on the song. There, there's a lot of songs where he just, um, we, we just let him run wild. And, and then there's some where he'll get heavy input like, I don't think this should be a heavy part, or I, I think it's too predictable that we go into a heavy part here. Um, we definitely try to keep it interesting to say, it, just even for ourselves musically, like we got to hear these things, we got to perform <laughs> these things. We got to play yeah. them at every show, so. <laughs> and it's important not to go, you know, too heavy for everything because that's a lot of strain on someone's voice, you know, playing right. hour long sets. You know, it's nice that he can, you know, break it up a little bit where not every song is just him being an angry mess. <laughs> That's probably the most consideration that ever comes in anything. We don't think about any of that when we're writing and recording. The most consideration that comes into, like, the vocal performance is when we do a live set list. There'll be times I'll write out a set list and he'll be like, you're fucking crazy if you think I'm going to sing that <laughs> song after this song. <laughs> and we got to adjust it from there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. We've had times that practice where, you know... We got the set list laid out, and Aaron will go through it, and we'll get He'll to like just the look third at song it and be like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to blow my voice out before we even get to the fourth song. <laughs> what about for just like, you know, you guys being the musicians of the band, with the, you know, metal being a very, uh, you know, aggressive and intense uh, form of music, it, does it take a lot of stamina for you guys just as musicians to perform that? Oh, definitely, uh, especially live because you can't just stand there, right? Exactly. You gotta really, and I, th I think that's something we take a lot of pride in is we, we, we feel it. We throw down. For for us, this is always, particularly for me, um, the aggressive music has always been a positive release of negative energy. Uh, if I didn't have this outlet, God knows where I would have ended up, uh, and it sure certainly wouldn't have been good. Yeah. So we try to just focus on that, like, and let it be, you know, a positive thing. But yeah, it, it's absolutely demanding uh, between physically playing the parts and being able to play the parts properly and still perform and put on a show. I would say it's absolutely demanding, particularly on our drummer. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, me and you playing heavier gauge strings. I mean, there's some wear and tear in the fingers, and then you got to keep the audience interested. So, you know, moving around and knowing when to settle down and when to keep going for, like, you know, certain parts of the song, that's, like, a huge thing. But we're usually uh, pretty active. <laughs> so by the time we're done, we've uh, sweated out, you know, a good 10 pounds. <laughs> and, and I don't know how to, like, not go nuts when we play. It's just, like, it, <laughs> right. it just happens. So, like, when we have to play, like, an hour, an hour and a half, or a two-hour set... Like, I'm dying by 30 minutes because I'm just giving it everything right off the bat. Yeah, I was going to say, he's definitely more active than me on stage. But he gets me pumped, you know? He gets the whole band pumped, you know? Uh, me and Aaron on vocals, like, just, 
you know, we want to rock ten times harder because we see Jesse getting more into it throughout each song. And it's that, awesome. <laughs> that's something. The first show I ever played, I was thirteen or fourteen years old, and I don't know what happened. I just started going nuts. I was stomping around like Godzilla and like <laughs> and it just never stopped. So <laughs> I just, and everyone was like, "That was a great show." I'm like, okay, I'll just keep acting like jackass. <laughs> Were you guys pretty big, like, concert gro- concert goers growing up? Oh, unbelievably. Um, I mean, we played our first national show when I was a junior in high school. We opened for Aguara and Devil Driver in Milwaukee. Oh, man. You, it, uh, we did an interview with uh, Matt from Friends of the Music. It was a podcast, and Guar is his favorite band. I listened so. to that one. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, he was like, oh, my God. <laughs> they were so cool. They were super cool to us. And, I mean, we're fucking 16, oh, 17 yeah. years old, dude. And we were, like, our minds were blown. We were freaking out. <laughs> Um, but it was it was super awesome, and but we, not only playing shows, but we went to shows just constantly. I remember numerous times my my dad calling us off for school because yeah. we went to the fucking House of Blues on a Wednesday night uh, or some yeah. shit, and we got home at two o'clock in the morning. He's like, "Yeah, fuck that, I'm not gonna do shit tomorrow," <laughs> because some obscure fucking band was playing. I can't even remember how many shows we went to. Uh, it w- it was ridiculous. I was going to say, when I was younger, my mom would not let me go to concerts until I got about 7th grade, and my dad's like, all right, we're going to Ozfest this year. <laughs> that set the tone for the rest of my life. Like It was incredible to see like 20 different bands uh, perform from like 9 in the morning till you know midnight, every heavy metal genre, uh, and that just, I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to be in a band, I want to make music like that, and I want to do that, and we're doing it now. <laughs> that was the big event of the year or two, Ozfest, and of course, you know, we were way too cool for sunscreen. So, fourteen <laughs> hours out in the sun, I came home looking like a fucking fried lobster. <laughs> <laughs> but I was happy. <laughs> yeah, that's all that matters. I'm curious because, you know, a, a lot of people in the music world always say it's really hard to find a bass player is it even harder in the like the heavy metal realm specifically (laughs) to find a bass player we were just talking about that before we started uh rolling tape here um i think tyler may be the longest standing bass player and he's got a year under his belt that that's one of the main reasons we were inactive for so long we got uh tired of looking for people oh okay you run into the chat. Like I was trying to explain it. It's like being married to three dudes, and you know everybody's got a schedule, everybody's got a personality, everybody's got you know this or that going on, and trying to schedule things is just absolutely ridiculous. And then you got to yeah. try to find somebody who can actually play, and then somebody who's not an asshole. Yeah, there are definitely a lot of variables that you have to kind of keep in mind. But I mean, this kind of brings me to tell us a little bit about you know the the origin because you talk about you know how you've taken you took a little break but before that you know when did you guys start you know uh what what made you think oh this is something serious that we really want to pursue and then how was that pursuit until the break yeah um it started 2003 uh my brother and i just loved music so we decided we were going to start playing it we just started writing songs um we built a a five-piece band around it we had two guitar players bass player singer drummer um, and we basically all grew up together. We uh, just we we start playing shows. We would push ourselves to to learn our craft and our instruments, and it led us to be more and more extreme um, to a point where we were playing like technical death metal. And we didn't ever set out to do that. It's just as as uh, a young musician, the most impressive thing to you is is seeing somebody who could just tear their instrument in half. 
So that's what you're chasing. And then you realize you're not even writing music, you're writing Olympic sports. <laughs> so we did that for almost 10 years, uh, playing that kind of music. And we, we got some headway. We, we did uh, open some summer slaughter tours. We did um, tons of death metal shows. We played with awesome bands in, in the scene. Uh, Necrophages, Beneath the Massacre. Um, tons of bands a lot of people probably never heard of but were were you know major names in the scene right 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 and just watching that and the more that expanded and the more bands kept coming up doing those kinds of that, that kind of music we always did it to try to be different and, and uh do something that that not everybody was doing and that's actually what pushed us into evolving to where we're at now so uh 2008 2009 somewhere in there uh, 2010 might have even been. We we changed singers. Uh, our original singer Matt was a great dude. Was terrific with uh, heavy vocals. Just had zero interest in doing anything melodic. And uh, my oh, brother and I man. were were very adamant about wanting to expand. I don't want to play the same songs a hundred okay. times. I don't want to put out the same record and write the same song over and over and over. So that that started moving us in a different direction. So we went through a few singers. Um, went through a few. We we lost our other original guitar player, which put us on like a four year search for uh, a musician that could play the parts and not be an asshole, which we never <laughs> never never ended up succeeding on because we ended up being a four piece band. <laughs> <clears throat> what was so, that? Oh, just really quick. I'm curious when you guys, because you guys had that singer for that long time, and when you guys kind of said, "Hey, we want to try something new," was that a like a mutual departure, or was that kind of ugly at all? Like oh, saying no, goodbye? No, ugly. No, no. Okay. We still talk to Matt to this day. Like he, okay. he comes over to my house all the time. Um, he's seen where we wanted to go, and he had no interest in doing it. So he he very graciously bowed out. You guys, guys, I love y'all, but. This is not what I'm interested in doing. I, I just okay. want to yell at it, and uh, so so he stepped out, and uh, he still comes to shows all the time. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah, great dude. How difficult do you find it to balance the band with your family and everything else that's going on? It's incredibly difficult. Uh, everybody's got full time jobs. Everybody, with the exception of Tyler, has kids, wives, etc. Tyler. So you, you just do your best. Tyler's got an awesome lady he's been with for a long time, so he does have like some of the spousal responsibilities. <laughs> you just don't have a bunch of minions running around. Um, it, it's it's incredibly challenging, and uh, you just do your best to balance everything. Obviously, you know, work and family comes first, um, but you just you do your best to slip it in where you can get in. And and my patient wife is, is unbelievably understanding, especially through. Uh, the writing, recording, and you know, the execution of this EP, I thought she was gonna kill me. <laughs> I want to hear about that. There, there was there was there was days that she would open the basement door and be like, "Fuck off, get out of there for a while." You're gonna you're, it's it's an incredibly time consuming process. Right. Uh, I mean, you're you're writing all the songs, you're tracking each instrument, and then you have to do the editing, you have to do the uh, the mixing process. The it, it's just. It's extensive. There's there's a lot of hours in that EP. Yeah. Well, and I bet, too, if, you know, I I don't know if you consider yourself a perfectionist at all, but I know that especially when you're in the 
the engineering part of creating a record it can you can just go crazy trying to make sure that everything's perfect and and have a quality that you're ready to display to the world so i'm sure that you went through a little bit of that i drove myself insane (laughs) i I remixed the record like four or five times before we we finally got there everybody in the band and even the producers were like this sounds great i'm like no it doesn't Mm-mm. and i did it i'm like back to the drawing board starting from scratch yeah i've been there <laughs> um, i think so- it's worse when it's it's your own music I've, I've done recordings for other bands that i found it incredibly it, it was so much more easier to mix it because you, yeah. you're not like there's probably nuances and details that just fly over my head so i'm just trying to make their song sound as good as I can possibly make it sound. I know every nook and cranny of these songs, so like if there's the slightest thing that's just not the right place and the right volume, it'll drive me insane. And then Tyler kept screwing up on his parts. Fucking yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no way, no way. <laughs> I mean... We all have our hiccups, but you know, <laughs> thank God we got Jesse there to coach us through everything. It, it wasn't. A, it could have been a lot worse. I've I've dealt with worse musicians in the studio. Like you, you've, you're gonna have your fuck ups. You're gonna have your problems, right. and you're gonna have that day where you just can't play that fucking part. Right. But we learned how to let it go and like just walk away from it for a little while and come back. Well, I'd like to to dive a little bit further into the actual EP itself. So, did you know that it was going to be an EP, or was there any plan to make it an LP, or how'd that happen? Uh, to be honest with you, the the EP idea actually came from uh, our producer, Todd Smith. Uh, he plays in some amazing bands uh, himself, Dog Fashion Disco, uh, Knives Out, Polka Dot Cadaver, just wide, very well-versed, wide-range musician. Um, we had played with his band Polkadot Cadaver a handful of times and, and became friends. And uh, I approached him with the idea of producing the vocals, just just the vocals. And he he, um, he was interested, and then he ended up getting in way deeper than he had planned on. <laughs> so we started tearing songs down to like bare frames and putting them back together. Like the the closing track Doom was nothing like that when it was demoed. It was a total different song. Okay. Um, so he, his suggestion to us with us, you know, relaunching and basically starting from scratch again, he said, don't put out a whole album and potentially have to, you know, burn 10, 12 songs without your audience built back up. So, so right. we, we picked, uh, he helped us pick uh, the top six songs. He thought the six song is strong, six strongest songs we had. And that's what we went with because we've, I've got... Jesus, probably 60, 70 songs demoed. Just sitting on a hard drive, collecting dust. Gotcha. So you do these six songs. Now, how did you decide on, like, the name of it and the artwork and stuff like that? Uh, The the title of the record really just, it it came out of, it it birthed itself, really. We looked at the lyrics, we looked at the song titles, we listened to the record, and... It's just really, we really deal with nothing pleasant <laughs> throughout the entire thing. So you could really take a nihilistic look at it and everything is bad. and it, Or you can use it to, to do something positive, which is what we do. But we, we felt that the title Nihilist fit. 
the scope of the music. Artwork wise, I'm an absolute pain in the ass to deal with when it comes to artwork. Uh, the layout was done by an awesome artist named uh, Patrick Lehman. He's out of uh, Baltimore, Maryland. Great dude. And he, he got me right away. I emailed the guy, talked to him for a little bit. I said, listen, I can tell you all day long what I don't want, but I can't tell you what I want. Here's the music. Yeah. Give me something. And that was the first thing he shot back. I'm like, I love you. We're done. Interesting. <laughs> nice. Yeah, he was a fucking treat to work with, man. He was so good. And it was literally like, he sent me the cover, and I'm like, this tiny adjustment, this tiny adjustment, we're done. He sent me two different things, and one was way off in the... In the in a different direction and I seen this one I said I love it this is what we're going with <laughs> yeah I remember we were in the uh, the group chat and he sent us three different covers and I think all of us were like dude we're sold on that perfect like, it just fit absolutely yeah. perfect I'm, yep. I'm really impressed by what it seems like your you know you, you mentioned earlier there's a, a certain sense of cohesiveness between you and the other band members all kind of working together is was that something you know when you guys were kind of reforming the band that you needed to kind of search for members who would have that or how, how do you guys deal with egos each other's personalities is that a challenge for you guys we're pretty lucky man we're, we're uh, you know Matt and I are brothers so any kind of egotistic shit that comes up gets squashed pretty quick and Aaron and Tyler are super close like like I said we do holidays together we're always hanging out together so it's more family than it is anything else and I gotta say collectively I don't think there's an ounce of ego in the band like it's never a blowout it's never an argument um, any anytime any of us is pushing the other it's always constructive so that that helps keep it uh, level for sure absolutely all positive i mean jesse takes care of so much for the band and with like the writing and then keeping us all on track to be the best musicians we can and anytime there is a problem it's settled in a matter of seconds or you know when we're recording or writing it's all four of us it's not just like you know one person makes all the decisions you know yeah we ask everybody like hey do you guys like this part do you like the way this feels this way this sounds should we make it heavier make it lighter in this part you know and we're not afraid to tell each other hey you fucked up on this part (laughs) (laughs) well because at the end of the day it's like we're, we're all doing this in whatever you know slice of free time that we have so if it's not fun and it's not constructive I, I don't think we would continue to do it yeah absolutely i mean you know we can at least get together you know once or twice a week and we make the few hours that we get like really count and every time it's either you know having a good time and figuring shit out or writing and then you know if it goes bad we just you know say hey all right time to go home and uh, we'll get back together the next day and brush it <laughs> off and, and do it again right do you guys ever find yourself like running across people who are just general haters of the genre of metal? <laughs> no, not really. To be honest, I don't. I don't know that I've ever ran into somebody that was just like, "I hate that shit." <laughs> I bring this up because Brandon. What? When I first Does Brandon hate this shit. <laughs> no, 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 I don't. It's hate. it's not that he's a general like hater, but like back when I first met Brandon one time, he's like. 
I just don't like metal because like everyone's always angry. <laughs> See, I, I don't even remember us having this conversation to be completely honest. So I think he's making shit up. But That's awesome. well, what would you say to what would you say to that twenty year old Brandon? <laughs> what, what I would say is, that, you know, if if you're happy all the time, good for you, man. Really good for you because it, if I didn't have heavy music, I would have turned into like some kind of lunatic because <laughs> I had so much negative. Uh, growing up as in so much angst and anger and and i don't know what you know what most young men have but right. i i had this music as a as a positive release for it yeah 100 percent. i mean especially you know young men going through high school you just got all these crazy emotions and was it for heavy music and helped me through sports just life period you know dealing with family girlfriends whatever uh, yeah. You go sit in your car and you listen to some of your favorite heavy stuff and yell along with it. Like nothing better than that outlet. Yeah, I was the least cool guy ever until I started playing guitar. Like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe it. It, it was. I, I no, I would believe. I can't play sports. <laughs> I can't play sports. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a cool car. Like nobody really liked me until I started playing guitar. So. I say in sports and stuff, like everybody knew, like. Tyler listens to heavy music. So when we do like football lifting and stuff, they're like, hey, you wanna like make a little CD and burn it for us? Like, All right, no problem. So what's with this EP out now, you know, you talked about it being kind of an attempt to gain your audience back. What is like the goal out of this EP? What is the goal out of the band right now? What what are your plans? Uh, well, the goal of the EP was just to really have something to reestablish ourselves, and we had uh, a fantastic pre-order and uh, first week sales. We it it had a lot more interest than I had anticipated. Uh, so things are going well there. We're going to continue to push it and expand. Um, right now is all about live appearances, supporting the record. So for for the next twelve to eighteen months, we'll probably be focused on live. Uh, expanded the live shows. We, okay. We're working on things out of state. We got some stuff pending in uh, 2019, uh, Cleveland, Iowa. Oh, Cleveland, yeah. Uh, <laughs> all kinds of different places that we're, we're trying to get to because we, we had a lot of support from uh, places we, we never expected. I, I packed orders for Canada. I packed orders for Germany. I packed orders for, uh, you know, so many things out of state from California to New Hampshire. We... Like it was, it was mind-boggling to me. I figured, you know, a couple people around town <laughs> might maybe buy one or something. It was like and nobody around town. It was all. Yeah, it was like nobody. It, it, I think we had like three or four <laughs> Illinois orders shipped for the pre-order. <laughs> like what the hell? Everything man? else was just like the weirdest places you could think of. <laughs> yeah, and they'll send us messages cool. on Facebook and just tell us how much they love it, and they never heard anything from you guys prior to that, and. It's amazing the support you get from like outside and like hopefully we can you know keep pushing this and expand and play shows you know in different states. Yeah, we're we're just gonna keep pushing. I mean, like back in the early days, what when we were more in the tech desk thing, we we generated enough buzz to have several label offers that just didn't make any sense. Uh, so mm-hmm. we've got really no intention of of shopping ourselves to the bigger labels. If the right indie label came up and wanted to, uh, to partner it's something we would definitely consider if it all made sense for both parties 
but uh, I, I definitely won't be knocking on, you know, the the major label doors to to be some slave to the system. Right. Well, right. well, I am curious though. How do you think that some of these people were able to find out about your album release? Some of the ones in like overseas and such. Uh, we, we did very limited, uh, you know, Facebook marketing and, and digital marketing, and a lot of it came from uh, a lot of the notice that we got came from uh, our producers. Oh, cool. Th- those guys are very established, and uh, with them being involved in the project, it sparked enough interest. The, the coolest part for me that I found was the people that were getting into it were getting like deep into it. They're like, oh my God, I've listened to this thing a hundred times in the last six days. I'm like, holy shit. (laughs) They like the whole record, not just the tune that Todd sang sang out. (laughs) Holy shit, they actually like it. Yeah. That's that's a pretty awesome experience. Like, I I can definitely relate to you don't want to feel like you crave the validation of other people, but when you get it, it's pretty fucking badass oh, it's to like awesome. have people love it yeah you know you pour everything into these things and especially with as personal as these songs are for us um you know we're, we're not writing dio records where he's singing about dragons and mountains it's awesome <laughs> as dio like dio is a badass like i love oh, yeah. i love his stuff but you know he, he's not writing from real life experience he's singing <laughs> mountains and dragons and magic and shit like that <laughs> Yeah, definitely not the case. So, I mean, you're, you're pouring, you know, some of the worst experiences of your life uh, into words and, and music. And to have somebody to really understand it and latch onto it, it, it's it's incredible. Do you think that's part of the reason why people have been connecting to it so much? Is they, they get, they understand that connection or they resonate with that message? Oh, it's very possible. Like, I mean, who hasn't been screwed over by a significant other or who hasn't questioned, you know, religion or any of those other things that, right. we, that we branch out and, and talk about? So th- that, like, being the case, for this album specifically, was there an album that you guys were all listening to at the time or a couple of bands? Or what do you think was the biggest musical inspiration behind this specific EP? I listened to the least metal of my life probably during the writing of this <laughs> I, I try to um, distance myself mm-hmm. from uh, at least current metal, uh, you know, active bands that are, that are uh, you know, out there doing things today. I, I definitely don't want to be too influenced by that. So it was my normal Pantera records. And then uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the stuff that our producer does. They, they've got their own label, Razor to Wrist, and... Uh, it's they probably got six or eight bands, and in the, the stylistic range is ridiculous. You go from acoustic music to weird shit with horns. <laughs> it's like you know the just anything you could think of and everything in between. So that that stuff got a lot of play for me. It's in regular rotation. Yeah, I'd say you know the whole band we were sticking to Alice in Chains, Deftones, Tool. You know, a lot of lighter stuff because. I guess we all had that built-up anger where we didn't need to hear it from someone else. We just had to let it flow out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. That's interesting. It was like you, you didn't want to uh, to lose it by listening to other people. You wanted to keep it bottled up for yes. your own creation. <laughs> We're being greedy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Conservative about it. <laughs> Do you think there was any, like, totally different genres of music that that you were inspired by that carried over onto this record at all i don't think so um 
at least for me, I don't hear anything really like out of left field in the record. Mm-hmm. It's it, at the end of the day, it's the, it, it's it's your standard metal record. There's you know guitars, drums, bass, vocals. Well, there was a the, the song in particular, the second to last song, the Omen one. Um, I know that one is more like melodic than some of the other songs mm-hmm. on there. Was there any particular like when you were deciding on the six songs? Was there a particular like mindset of we need to make sure we get this track on here because it's more melodic, or did it almost get cut, or sort of what was the backstory on it? I've been trying to get that song on a record since like 2009. I wrote that song a long time ago, um, and all we really did to change it uh, now is, is we uh, restructured it a little bit. It, it used to have a few more technical pieces in there. Um, we kind of removed that and, and got down to the meat and potatoes of it. And uh, that that was actually my little win. Uh, I didn't pick this song. It was picked by the producer. Ah. <laughs> so that gave me enough <laughs> validation to get it on the record. And uh, I think everybody's pretty happy with it. It turned out pretty well. Yeah. Is there a song in particular that ends up being like the, the favorite of the band on the EP? I hate them all. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But uh, I, I, I won't listen to it for a while because uh, writing it, tracking it, mixing it, editing it, putting it all together, um, they all sound like mush to me now. <laughs> I was going to say, playing every week and then, you know, jamming those in a set list and then playing shows and then practicing. Uh, we don't really get too burnt out, but I know that Jesse does more so than the rest of the band because, I mean, he did everything with the record, and I'd come over and hear him have that song on, you know, all six of those songs on repeat. I'm sure Laney went nuts, too. Yeah, all was, day long. It was a process. Right. So it's just, like, hard to decide on which song you like at this point. Well, to be honest with you, um, you know, all joking aside, um, I would probably say the title track, Nihilist, or the last track, Doom, would probably be my two favorite tracks on the record. Yeah, I, uh, what really sold me on when Matt asked me to be in the band was he showed me Killing Floor, and that was just blew my mind. I was like, I love this. I love the direction. I love how it's not just all heavy. You know, there's a little bit of the clean vocals, and but it still, you know, punches you in the face. And I think it's... Uh, you know, sticks in my head sometimes. I'll start singing in the shower. <laughs> I think I always skip past Killing Floor. Like, I forget it's there because it came so easily. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. always like, well, that's, you know, that's all right. But I didn't have to work for that. <laughs> he doesn't give himself enough credit. <laughs> so you talk about how everything kind of starts off with certain demos. I'm curious, not being a, a metal musician myself, you know, when I write my demos, I'm just at a piano and then I just sing while I'm playing the piano. What are your demos like incorporating? Is is it all of the pieces of the band? Is it just you and the guitar? And how do you record it as well? Uh, well, we got uh, this the home studio set up at my house. So we've got, uh, we use Cubase and we've got uh, our board and everything is all set up all the time. So generally a, a demo will start, I'll write riffs, like pieces of songs, uh, just not on an electric guitar, but not plugged in. I'll be sitting on the couch watching TV, and and something will will come across that's worth me going downstairs for. Um, okay. So I'll plug in. I'll, I'll just do a simple like direct in, you know, simple distortion, whatever it is. Uh, lay out right. a demo, and uh, lay out the riffs, a couple of riffs in in sequence, and then 
if if I get really nuts, I'll I'll program some basic drums just to give an idea of where breaks would be and and changes and um, you know feel for the for the drum beat. Um, and then other times it'll just be a guitar riff, and then I'll give it to the guys, and we go from there. And there's times we we write songs in in the at least the uh, catalyst for the songs in the practice room. I I call them sound check riffs. I'll just be noodling and, and getting warmed up and. Matt will hear something he likes and he'll start playing to it and then somebody pulls out the iPhone and <laughs> and then we take it from there. Okay. Interesting. Huh. I'm also curious too, now that this EP is out and you guys are obviously going to be, you know, performing, like you said, for a while, are you going to put writing new songs on the back burner for a little bit while you focus on getting this out there? Or do you think that that will still kind of be part of your everyday life? Oh, writing is still be part of everyday life. I, okay. <clears throat> that That's something uh, we'll probably even set aside maybe four to six weeks out of the year uh, just solely dedicated to writing. Like we'll get together and, and we won't practice the songs that we have in our set list now and we'll just solely focus on uh, putting new music together because it if you hit writer's block you, it's the worst thing in the world <laughs> right so we try to keep it, it, it if it's it, if the music's flowing we're gonna we're gonna let it keep going we're gonna keep writing so with the the way that you guys are doing this right now obviously having a lot on your your plate between this this album being out now having families, trying to have a full-time job, all this balancing, what does like the best-case scenario of Beneath the Hollow look like in the future, immediate future and like a little bit later future? Oh, best-case scenario? Yeah. Um, you know, I'd, li- I'd like to model it after uh, one of the smartest bands in metal that I think is, uh, as a band Converge. Um, they essentially live off their music because they, they're signed to their own label. They're... They push all their own things. You can make a decent living with music if you don't have somebody in your pocket taking eighty percent, ninety percent of your income. Um, if if we could get to the point where this became a full time job, oh, that'd be great. <laughs> that's I think that's the ultimate end game. But it, will it ever get there? Who knows? How do you feel about it, Tyler? I'm oh, curious. Man, I mean, if I could do music or all of us for a living instead of working, you know. Doing what we do now, it would be dream come true. And, you know, we stay hungry every week. It's not like, you know, we put this, it's never been on the back burner since I've been in the band for a year. You know, every practice, like he said, uh, he could be coming up with some riffs and we all enjoy it and we'll just keep writing. And like he said, busting out the iPhone and just always staying hungry. So, yeah, I mean, that would be nice if, you know, we could take it to that next level. And, you know, we'll keep working for it. Just in general, because I know this is something that Brandon and I have gotten a lot, which is I feel like for my own mental health, a lot of times, it's important for me to have things outside of like a nine to five job. It's important for me to have like a creative outlet. How important is the idea of having a creative outlet to you guys in terms of your mental health and just like being happy and content with your life? It's paramount. Um, It... I don't mind working. I've never been afraid to work. Uh, I'll work my ass off as many hours of the day as I need to to take care of my family. Uh, but for me to be a good human, <clears throat> I have to have a, a creative outlet. 
Absolutely. I mean, you know, it almost makes you hungrier sometimes when you're at work to have a bad day and you want to come home and you take it out on the guitar, the bass, the drums, the vocals. You think of a few lines for some lyrics and you jot them down and it it's because you had the bad day and we all need that at work. But, man, the music is just the best and especially since we have more aggressive music, it's ultimate outlet. That's what I when would you, think. <laughs> when you guys had that hiatus, was was that a, a tough thing to battle? Was not having this band be as prevalent as it was before? Was, was that a difficult time for, um, you know, I guess even your personal health? I would say, for me personally, definitely. Um, and especially because I wasn't just sitting in an area. I, I moved across the country uh, for work, actually. Uh, okay. So I was in I was in L.A. I was away from my wife and my family for long periods of time. They eventually got out there, but it was a whole transition period. And then once the new wears off and you and you've done all the tourist shit, uh, you, you went to Disney, you went to Universal, and you, you've seen the beach. You're like, holy shit! I'm like three thousand miles from everybody I've ever known. You get this really deep isolation, uh, and yeah. you're surrounded by. Millions of people, but you, you feel so isolated at the same time. Uh, so it, it was definitely hard on me uh, not having that creative outlet. Now, I, I could still write. My brother was met with me out there, so we, we had, you know, we would we would jam a little bit. And it, but it's it's different when you can focus on something with, a, with an actual goal and a, and a trajectory versus right. just aimlessly wandering around. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think it's important in general to have some sort of a, a creative outlet. And it's something that my advice to anyone is if, if you don't have an outlet of some kind, then you're, a lot of times people just like end up turning to drugs or alcohol or just like that's the only thing that they have is their outlet. And then a lot of times this doesn't work out. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I, I think I've said it a couple times here today. Like, if, I don't know where I would have ended up if, if those very important formative years weren't consumed with learning how to play the guitar the best I could. Like I, I would spend 13, 14 hours a day playing guitar. Like That kept me out of a lot of trouble. <laughs> I can imagine. 13 or 14 hours is a lot, too. <laughs> I loved it. I just love playing guitar. Who's your favorite guitarist? Oh, that's, like, that, that's a difficult one. My favorite metal <laughs> guitar player, uh, Dimebag Darrell from Pantera. Uh, he's an e- he's an easy choice. Yeah, that seems like. But there's so many incredible guitar players out there. Tyler, for you, what what were you doing before you kind of came into this band? Had you been in any other bands before this? Was that something that was even on your radar? Was the idea of being in a band? Um, for the most part, I always played bass and guitar just in my room, you know, playing covers and stuff, and then. Uh, for a little bit, we just for like a Halloween show at like a little party at a house, we did uh, a Slipknot cover band. So we all, you know, dressed up in the costumes and we tried to do that two years in a row and it kind of fell apart. But, you know, just a few bands here and there, uh, not, not really playing shows or anything, just, you know, going to practice and driving each other nuts and not getting nothing done. So, you know, it was a... It was awesome to when Matt asked me to be a part of this because it's very organized and you know it's something to really look forward and you know you take it serious but it's also like fun and 
we right. all love what we do. That's so, what yeah. that cover bands actually have. This thing got reignited. <laughs> really? Yeah. So no, I'll, it's a quick little story. I'll tell you. So our drummer Matt, um, we're beneath the house, basically completely inactive at this point. Um, he's like, "Hey, I'm gonna do this Slipknot thing for uh, Halloween. I'm gonna put it together with these guys." I said, "That's awesome, man. I'll come see it. Whatever." So three weeks before this show is supposed to happen, this Halloween show, Matt calls me and goes, "All these guys backed out. So I'm booked with a promoter." For a night, and I've got no fucking band to play. Oh, shit. <laughs> and he's like, what can we do? I'm like, get a bass player. We'll, we'll put Benita Hollow back together and do it. <laughs> so this guy comes in. Tyler comes in, learns an hour and a half of an original material. And just so we didn't disappoint everybody that wanted us to see a Slipknot cover band, we did an entire Slipknot set. Too. <laughs> really? Yes. So we yeah. got the master, did everything. We did like an hour and 20, hour and 30 minutes uh, beneath the hollow set. Uh, we took like a 15 minute break, did the jumpsuits, put the mask on, and then we ripped like a six or seven song Slipknot set. Wow. Hell yeah. In three weeks preparation. <laughs> and after that, it just kept like... the. The joy that you, you get from being on stage is something like it's it's a high like no other. So oh, yeah. it really sparked everybody back into it. One hundred percent. Yeah. It wow. Was, it was yeah. It was super funny how fast everything like happened, and it was like boom, boom, bang, and then it's just been the snowball effect ever since, and we've all been, you know, super motivated ever since then, and playing bigger shows, and you know, now we got like this album done, and. It's awesome. Hopefully, we just keep climbing and staying hungry. How'd the show go? Like, was it? It was actually good. <laughs> yeah, we played. Yeah, we, played, we didn't. We didn't fuck up. <laughs> Not enough for anybody to notice, at least. <laughs> Except right before we went on, my uh, I don't know, my pedal board took a shit on me. So I was that's like, your normal. Oh no! Shit. Threw it to the side. <laughs> Who needs it? Direct in. <laughs> what's the What's the significance behind the band name Beneath the Hollow? Oh, th- not really much. That was, uh, you know, angry 13-year-old. <laughs> you know, 13, 14. Um, and, and it's hard, man, to name a band that, that right. and you try to pick something that hasn't been copyrighted 16 times by somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, what? Steven and I are trying to start our own band. We, we've been going back and forth in the name of it. <laughs> our, our metal and uh, Backstreet Boys or the Monotones? Which one are we talking yeah, about? Yeah, the here? Monotones. Just doing mo- only Monotones. I guarantee Monotones is actually taken, so it's probably a copyright at this point. <laughs> probably. I'll, I'll look it up. I'll we'll be the Monotones too. You know, a great <laughs> business idea is, is go and find every band name that's not copyrighted and, and generate a list. So people can just go to the list and pick what's left. <laughs> Whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't know we had such a business genius on this show. <laughs> I kind of like that, Brandon. Let's get started on that, but let's not get yeah, any Yeah, I'll credit. do it. That's fine. Well, a, a lot of rappers, it. a lot of rappers now do the rap name generator, and then they just pick their name off of the, like, the oh, randomized oh my rap name generator. That's really a thing? Yeah, uh, Childish Gambino, he got his from a rap name generator. Um, oh, this is to, real. This is I have real to fill thing. something out to do this. This is dumb. Yeah, yeah, I thought you just had to pick your birthday. I just want to like push a button and it does it for me. I don't do a whole. Usually it's like. Can, a sheet. I, can I just like press? All right, I'll give it. I'll give first it a first name. First Let's see what name. shows up. First letter, last name. <laughs> All right, here we go. That's not even. That's not even exactly. Let's see. What is it? My rap name is 
EMC Stevie B. <laughs> EMC yep. Stevie B in the house. <laughs> this is horrible. All right, so I give up. This one's terrible. So I have a, a, a I guess, a final question myself for you guys because I, I know that when I was doing the music thing, I had certain place like venues that was like my dream venue to play at, or like a, a, a band that I just really wanted to open for or perform with or even work with like a producer in the studio. Do you guys have any of those things? Like if you, if things worked out exactly the way you wanted, where would you want to play? Who would you want to work with? Who would you want to open for or play with? Uh, we've been pretty fortunate. We've gotten to check a lot of those marks off uh, over the years. Oh, very, well, very how convenient. Don't get me wrong. Stars. They're still out there. They're still out there. Like there, there's always that one. Like, I mean, obviously for me, like, Opening for Pantera would have been the dream come true, but that's that's so far gone. Uh, you know, with with the, the two members being deceased, that'll never happen. So, um, again, we've been very very fortunate uh, and had a lot of good opportunities. But I would love to play House of Blues. I've never gotten a, to step foot on a House of Blues stage yet. Yeah, anything out of the country too? You know. Yeah, that would be Whacking, incredible. <laughs> Um, no Madison Square Garden? Uh, I'm going to be realistic here. I don't think it's, I mean, unless we were opening for Black Sabbath, which is uh, a hell of a long shot, I don't think we would ever be in that kind of a, a situation. <laughs> Ozzy, if you're listening to this right now, consider having Beneath the Hollow on tour with you. Although, didn't they just break up? Uh, Black Sabbath did their farewell. Yeah, like, that means they just broke up. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll open for Ozzy too. There we go. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not picky. There we go. Hey, Blizzard of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Any uh, any last final thoughts from either of you two? No, not really. Yeah, I mean, thanks for having us, guys. We really appreciate it. Uh, it was a pleasure to be here, and good luck with your stuff and uh, pushing this podcast. Definitely. Absolutely. Thanks, Mark. So, guys, had yeah. an awesome time. So. Uh, Anything you guys want to plug here at the end? Yeah, where, where can people find your EP? Uh, anything you want to know about us, uh, you can find at bth1.net. Uh, that's our hub for everything. It's got links to all the socials. Uh, it's got our merchandise store, which has physical copies of CDs, T-shirts, hoodies, you name it. Uh, we got, we're on Apple Music, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, you name it. If it accepts music, we're on it. Yeah, check out you know Facebook, Instagram. You know, we get a little bit of attention on there too, and sometimes we'll be uh, you know sharing live videos and whatnot, whatever we're doing in the studio or uh, shows we're playing. Yeah, definitely, definitely support these guys. I know uh, it's tough these days to make it in in music. I think Brandon can attest to that probably more than I can. But there's a uh, just a, there's a ton of competition out there, and there's a lot of talent <coughs> that people need to find. And uh, honestly, thank you guys very much for coming yeah. on here, and it's been a lot of fun. If you guys enjoyed this episode, or you have any questions or comments for either of these two, or any members of the band Beneath the Hollow, you can email us at emgpod at gmail.com, or you can slide into our DMs at emgpod. Uh, that is our Instagram and our Twitter. Or if you do feel so inclined, you can even leave us a voicemail, which we can play on a future episode. Our number is 
427-EMG5. But if it's going to be a voicemail, like, make sure it's at least good. Don't just be like, <laughs> <laughs> It's like, okay, sweet. How many prank calls have you guys got? <laughs> we, we have a lot of ones where, like, nothing shows up in the voicemail. And we're like, what is this? Do they, do they, like, forget that they're supposed to leave a voicemail? Do they expect that we're going to answer? Surprised you're not getting robocalls yet trying to sell you insurance. Insurance? Oh, God, that'd be pretty funny. I get those, like, six times a day. Oh, yeah. Those are always great. Uh, yeah, our next episode after this one is going to be about stepping outside of your comfort zone. Thank you for listening to this episode, and we will talk to you soon. Take it easy. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Wake to the light of day. The sun burns on your face. In your first brand you brain. Then raise your brain to the sky and dance in the blood and vanquish the life of your enemy. From their skulls and grind them with their bones. Hide from the light of day, blood painted on your face, the shadows of your brain. You lie and wait for the moment to ambush the brain, brave and enslaved, your enemy.
Stepping up 